This is the What Happened Today podcast, your daily history podcast that tells you what happened on this day in history. Brought to you by the Productive Leisure Network, online, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com, and on Facebook and Twitter, at ProdLeisure. And you can listen to every Productive Leisure Network podcast on our website or Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. I'm your host, Will Floyd, and what happened today, March 3rd in 1918, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk was signed by the governments of Soviet Russia and the Central Powers, the German Empire, the Austro-Hungarian Empire, Bulgaria, and the Ottoman Empire, effectively ending Russian involvement in World War I. There is much more to that sentence than first appears. The government of Soviet Russia was only a few months old, and although no one at the negotiating tables realized it, the government of the German Empire only had a few more months to exist. As such, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk has an odd place in history. The basic facts about it are that it seems almost to be an absurd granting of territorial gains and concessions to Germany by the Russians. And yet, in terms of a larger effect, largely, Soviet Russia didn't have to follow it. What led to the actual negotiations around the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, which were signed in the city of Brest-Litovsk, which is in modern-day Belarus, but then was in what was considered Poland. It's on the Polish-Belarusian border. Were really a falling apart of Tsarist Russia throughout 1917. The Treaty of Brest-Litovsk only focused on the Eastern Front of World War I. And whereas many images of World War I focus on the Western Front, where trench warfare meant a stalemate a little bit into the French border with Germany, the Eastern Front was very different. Russia had shown some military might withstanding German advances, but had seen the war go disastrously wrong. And an already unpopular czar, Nicholas II, who before the war had faced some popular uprisings, now found himself in serious trouble. And in 1917, although a stalemate had developed, it seemed to affect Russia much worse than it did the Germans and their allies in the Central Powers. Most notably, there were a series of food shortages, and this led almost directly to the February Revolution, which forced Tsar Nicholas II to abdicate his throne there would no longer be a monarch in Russia. Instead, a Russian provisional government was in place that largely tried to follow on democratic reforms, trying simply to say we can govern better without the czar. This created a few issues. First, there were territories that Russia had claimed that it had completely lost by early 1917, most notably the Baltic states, what are now Latvia, Estonia, Belarus, were no longer really in Russian hands. And although they had populations that spoke the languages of Latvian, Estonian, Belarusian, there were also significant Russian and German minorities, and they were largely parts of ruling classes. There were odd structures to what was going on. And when Germany and Russia were fighting over it, that meant one thing. When Russia collapsed in on itself, now Germany took them over. The other important thing was the Russian provisional government was so provisional that no one was really satisfied with it. And it began to lead to a civil war in Russia. Although the Russian provisional government 
initially said that absolutely Russia would continue to honor the Triple Entente, whereby it was allied with Britain and France against the Central Powers. Many people inside of Russia did not like it. And so the Communist Party in Russia, the Bolsheviks, were seen as a significant element in Russia by the German High Command. And they rather covertly sent 32 high-ranking Russian communists who had been in exile in Switzerland, including most notably Vladimir Lenin, the leader of the Bolsheviks, to Finland. From there, Lenin was able to go to Petrograd, the former St. Petersburg, and issued what were known as the April Theses. And he said, essentially, workers and soldiers councils, the Soviets, needed to be in charge and Russia should withdraw from the war. This led to a series of riots throughout the country, most notably in Petrograd, then the capital. And in late October, by the reckoning of what was still in use there, is the Julian calendar in Russia, but early November, by the otherwise completely used Gregorian calendar, Red Guards seized the Winter Palace, took control of the provisional government, and the October Revolution took place, putting the Soviets in power. And the Soviets wanted to end the war. It's almost as though the German high command couldn't believe their luck. They had simply sent a few dozen guys on a train to Finland. And out of it, they got a revolution in Russia for the second time in a year, and this one wanted to sue for peace. And so on the 15th of December in 1917, Soviet Russia and the Central Powers agreed to an armistice. And essentially in the middle of their territories, they met at brest to negotiate. The man in charge of negotiating on behalf of the Central Powers was General Max Hoffmann, a German general who was the chief of staff for the Eastern Front. This actually meant he had quite a few people ahead of him in the general staff. Meanwhile, other representatives from the Central Powers, including the Ottoman Grand Vizier Talat Pasha, the Austro-Hungarian Count Atakar Zeman, and various other people who were just around watching what was going on, began to deal with this brand new, odd revolutionary government. That government was represented by Adolf Joffe. He was a great friend of the newly created Commissar of Foreign Affairs, Leon Trotsky, one of the architects of Bolshevism and the October Revolution. The idea that Trotsky and Joffe had was simple. They wanted to end fighting. It was an October Revolution, and they began negotiating in December. They were two months into not just a new government, but a brand new form of government, one that was highly opposed. In some sense, all that needed to happen was that the Soviets needed to end the war with the Central Powers. They had other problems, such as remaining royalists, and then also supporters of the provisional government who had an odd relationship building due to the fact that they both hated the communists. And as the actual conference opened, Jaffe basically laid out all of these things to the foreign minister of Germany, Richard von Kuhlmann, which basically said that what was really wanted by the Bolshevik government was peace with no annexations and no indemnities. What that really meant was we just want to end this thing. And yet the response from the central powers was that would be great. We would love that if you agree to it as well, which essentially the central powers thought meant we think that you shouldn't claim anything that's not really quote unquote Russian, either historically or more importantly and effectively where troops were and German troops were near the Russian border. And so there were 
a few back and forth, but mostly through December, people thought things were going well and they would wrap it up by the new year and they would have a treaty. Then it was made obvious that actually, instead of saying, we're all going to back off, the Germans said, no, 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 no. Lithuania is ours. Poland is ours. We have conquered them. What they actually said was, our troops are there and we believe that their populations should decide. Really, the idea was that there were German-speaking populations who had become a kind of ruling elite. But what they really wanted was to not have any of these territories become part of the Soviet state. This created a small break in the talks. And while this was happening, the war began going not so well for Germany on the Western Front. They had thought with an armistice they were able to turn their attention, militarily speaking, to the West. As it turned out, during an armistice, you basically had to keep your soldiers in position. And while they were not firing, they were there in case the armistice broke. So they had some serious problems, including that there were actual uprisings on a small scale inside of all of the Central Powers. Meanwhile, inside of Russia, the now foreign minister, Leon Trotsky, decided to basically take over as lead negotiator. The idea was simple. What the Russians really wanted was to prolong negotiations so that similar revolutions would succeed throughout the Central Powers. So essentially, they weren't negotiating with representatives of empires. They were negotiating with fellow travelers, communist revolutionaries who had risen up and overthrown their own monarchs. It didn't happen. Not quite the way they wanted. Instead, the German Supreme Command got very annoyed that there was no further discussion and actually began negotiating with the Ukrainian Rada, the sort of upstart government of Ukraine, which had broken off from Russia in the upheavals of 1917 and said, we are independent from Russia and can negotiate ourselves. And they went to Brest-Litovsk and signed their own Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. This happened really on the night of February 8th. And by February 9th, everyone woke up to find that all of a sudden Ukraine had this weird negotiation with the Central Powers. And yet also that Russia had invaded Kiev, meaning there were now multifaceted sides to this. And it seemed like the communists couldn't hold on. Meanwhile, back in Russia, Trotsky began arguing that essentially there should be no signing of any treaty, at which he found serious problems essentially from two different sides. Vladimir Lenin, now the head of the government of Soviet Russia, said that there needed to be some sort of treaty signed rather than essentially having any more military losses and having a worse treaty foisted on them. Meanwhile, what were known as the left communists, the most radical, led by Nikolai Bukharin, basically said, look, Germany, Austria, Hungary, Bulgaria, Turkey, they're going to fall to revolution within months. The weird thing that Trotsky then had to return to the negotiations with was a position called no war, no peace, which basically was just another stalling tactic. Instead, Lenin ended up convincing people after about a week that, yes, Russia should sign. Trotsky decided to resign as foreign minister after abstaining from the vote and was replaced by Grigory Sokolnikov who ended up being the person that signed the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. The actual terms of the treaty were relatively simple. Russia would withdraw from the war and would essentially reject the former alliance the Russian Empire had. Additionally, the treaty took away vast swaths of territory that was actually said to have a quarter of the population of what had been the Russian Empire. But again, Russia wasn't really holding Finland, 
or Ukraine or Belarus or Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania. There's also the issue of the Kingdom of Poland, which technically speaking, according to long-standing tradition, had been something personally ruled by the Tsars of Russia, but was, technically speaking, separate from the instrument of state of Russia. It was a complicated treaty. In so much as figuring out who did what. In terms of what the Russians had to do, they had to back off. They also were forced to pay outrageous sums in war reparations, and even give some territory to the Ottoman Empire at the insistence of Talat Pasha, the vizier of the Ottomans. But the six billion marks that the Germans were supposed to be paid never came, although over a million German soldiers could now go to the Western Front. Throughout the summer of 1918, the Germans could never quite make that offensive success on the Western Front they wanted, and by November 1918, an armistice was declared. And so after the 11th of November of 1918, when the guns went silent, essentially the Bolshevik government decided that they didn't need to pay attention to the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. By 1919, the Treaty of Versailles would be signed. This imposed even harsher penalties on Germany than were put on Soviet Russia by the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. Versailles said that the German military could never be rebuilt. No such language was put into the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. And so really, within two years, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk had no teeth. In fact, making it perhaps even weirder, there was no German Empire shortly after the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk. Although many people in the leadership of the Soviet state had thought perhaps there would be a revolution in Germany that would overthrow the Kaiser, Wilhelm II, when it came, it was not quite the way that they thought it would happen. Instead, in 1918, Kaiser Wilhelm would abdicate his throne. Essentially, soldiers decided that they didn't need to fight anymore. That is what led to the armistice. Instead, the Weimar Republic, a complicated, messy, largely democratic republic, stood in the stead of the German Empire. It wasn't what the Soviets wanted. And yet, in many ways, it was the greatest benefit to the Soviets. Although they could not control the newly created states that had been formed from what was ceded to be German territory in Brest-Litovsk, their influence would come through. And of course, in just two decades, another world war would break out. But by then, the Soviet Union had already coalesced, adding many of the states that had been taken away from it, not in an empire, but in something slightly different, but still controlled from Russia. Germany would undergo even more serious upheaval, seeing the rise of the Nazis leading to World War II. But in many ways, the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk didn't do anything to help either get on the path that led to World War II. Because the Treaty of Brest-Litovsk, although it seemed world-shattering when it was agreed to, largely was rendered moot within just two years. Because it was signed by the about-to-crumble German Empire and the recently formed government of Soviet Russia, agreeing to an imbalance that could not stand when it was officially agreed to, which is what happened today, March 3rd in 1918. That will do it for today's episode, but as always, please check back in tomorrow for a brand new episode because we are a daily history podcast and we do put out a new episode each and every day. You can also find all of our episodes on our website, ProductiveLeisureNetwork.com and on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and SoundCloud. You can also help us out greatly by going to our social media pages on Facebook and Twitter at ProdLeisure and sharing everything we post, telling anyone you know about how much you actually like us. And as always, thanks for listening and see you tomorrow.